What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have special guest Jonathan Shane. And real quick to preface this, I'm making this a YouTube video and a podcast. So if you're listening, this will be on YouTube. If you're watching YouTube, this will be on the podcast. Without further ado, how are you, Jonathan? I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, not bad. Not, not too bad. bad. Yeah. Just to give you a little bit of a background, Jonathan was a former client of mine. Um, we had a podcast with him about I don't know a couple months ago. Yeah, like like early early September. Yeah, early September. Immediately post show, he had just done his first competition. We did a post show uh, interview podcast, and I have I've had a lot of competitors that I've worked with come on to the podcast, um, like you know, right after their show or right before their show. But I haven't really had too many come, you know, months after. Um, so there's that adds a whole new dynamic to the equation. So I'm excited to have Jonathan. And plus, he's in town this weekend, so it just worked out for a great podcast. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's if, First of all, if you haven't listened to the first podcast, listen to that. That'll give you a lot more foundation to his prep uh, in itself. But talk about some of the emotions and everything that's happened post-show. So, the post-show for me was probably the hardest part. Like, um, when it comes to, when you look at the broader spectrum of, like, a prep, like, I think that one thing that you can't neglect is the post-show, the rebound, the reverse diet, because I did, I, I thought that once I hit my show, it was over. Once I got off stage, it was done, I didn't have anything to worry about. And then you get off stage and you realize, oh, crap. I've been like depleting my body for months and months and now I don't have this mental stronghood of like I have this goal that I'm looking at and so my body just starts trying to come up with ways through you know emotional manipulation or whatever it is to make me eat more food so it can store the fat it wants to store and basically I guess get back to its homeostasis if you will and so dealing with that was rough because I was constantly um you know, Robert knows, I was messaging him all the time, like, oh my gosh, I just binged, oh my gosh, I just binged again and again, and um, it was a real struggle, it was really hard to deal with, because you go from this person that had this control, that had this fire, and then all of a sudden, like, you have almost no, you really, it's hard to almost explain, like, you really feel like you have no control. Because you had started, uh, for anybody that hadn't seen or listened to the first vlog, or podcast, rather, you had started out, you know, at a heavier weight, lost a bunch of weight, so you kind of had like a fat phobia, so to speak. Yeah, so uh, when I was a teenager, I was like uh, 260 pounds, lost all that weight, and I developed like this like fat phobia, like you said, like really scared of gaining weight, and so, um, in fact, that really surfaced about, I'd say about two months after my prep, I actually ended up struggling with my bulimia again, that came back up. So like what talk about the mind, man. Like what what are the uh like when did you recognize that it was a problem? What was the catalyst? I mean, not having something to strive for. Like I I did the same thing after my competition. Like you do a, your first show, you don't have any perspective. You don't know what the show's gonna be like, what the prep's gonna be like, what the post show's gonna be like, you're just doing. And then after it's you put that show on a pedestal and then after that's over with, you have no grounding factor in your life. And then it's basically just free reigns to do 
whatever. And you oftentimes go back into the things that you obsess about. And if you're obsessing about food, which you're subject to do post-show because you've been depleted for so long, it's easy to just turn to food and overindulge. So like when post-show for you, did you recognize, oh shit, I'm losing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say it was about, oh, I remember when it was, it was, um, it was the ice cream. It was the ice cream binge. You remember that one? I do. I do. I do. So to give you all background, so I made this ice cream because I wanted ice cream and I said, I'm going to treat myself. So I made this ice cream and I made it too damn good. (laughs) Um, So I had a little bit and I talked myself into another little bit. And then somehow I convinced myself that it was okay to eat calories from the day, the next day. So I like tracked the ice cream for tomorrow and Mm -hmm. ate it today. And then I went to the bowl and I was like, oh, I should make sure that it's smooth so it freezes right. So I started and then like the minute my I couldn't take the spoon out and probably not two minutes later, the entire gallon was gone. And that's like I always tell my clients this too. Like if you start, you know, playing around with your macros for days past or days to come, you've already gone down the wrong path. Because if I mean, you just need to like if you mess up. Chalk it up as a screw up and then get back on track with your macros the next day. Don't try and like, you know, starve yourself the next day to make up for overconsumption of macros today and don't overconsume today and take away from tomorrow. Like just get back on routine, get back on a consistent macro intake and wipe the slate clean, basically. No, I completely agree with that. I, I tell my clients the same thing. It's it's a it's a lot of listen. I know you messed up or you might have like went a hundred like it's okay. Like shake it off. Don't fast tomorrow. Don't do anything that can trigger more hunger, right? Because that's just obviously it's a snowball effect. And yeah, that was probably after I got done with that bowl and I looked at it and it was empty, I was like, damn, something's wrong. <laughs> and then after that, did you just like continue to relapse basically or Yeah, so I still struggled. It was weird, but but I think it was different because I had I had gotten to the realization that this is a problem. Mm-hmm. And so the binges started becoming less and less. Like it was like every two or three days. And then after that one, I was like, okay, I need to talk to Robert. I need to figure out what's going on in my head. Um, and then, you know, it went to a binge every week. And then I waited two weeks. And then eventually it stopped. I would say I probably, that was like mid, mid-September mid going into October. And then by the middle of October, all my binging had stopped. So what what was happening to you compositionally speaking? Because like you you step off stage and you look the best you've ever looked. You've reached this goal that you've worked hard to achieve, and then all of a sudden you start overeating, and you look in the mirror in the mornings and you recognize that 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 pinnacle of what you had gotten to is slipping. How does that play on you psychologically? It's hard. Um, it's hard because you. It's like it's just you said it perfectly. Like you work so hard for this achievement and. It's crazy how consistent and how hard you have to work to get the weight off and how easy it is to put it back on. That is so irritating. Um, But yeah, I would say two weeks after, not two weeks after, I, I took a second. That's the good thing I will say about keto is that if you have some issues on the reverse diet or if you're trying to gain weight, um, it's easier not to gain fat as quick because of the ketogenic diet. I really feel like if I would have done what I did on carbs, I would have been, I would have been a giant blob. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
but so it, it took a couple months. I would say going into October, like actually when I stopped binging, that's when like the effects of all the binging caught up to me. Uh, my abs had completely disappeared. You know, I was back at 197, 200. And some of that was the extra fat that I had gained because I, I had gained quite a bit, but also inflammation from all the keto crap I was eating mm-hmm. um, from all the binging. So there was a lot of uh, variables at play. But yeah, it, it messed with my head a lot because I'd worked so hard for something and lost it so easily. And like I said, it really plays on you as a competitor, as a bodybuilder, as someone that has to you know work so hard to achieve something and then like you give it, you feel like you gave it up so easily and and that can be really daunting yeah i agree i agree it's i don't know it, it's it's a necessary thing like you you can't expect to sustain the percent body fat that you get down to at a competition prep but at the same time like it's you have the being okay with where you're going and where your body's you know going to go after a competition is like the hardest part because you have to not only accept it for what it is, but also like embrace it. Because if you don't embrace it, then you're always gonna be filled with like regret and just like the self conscious nagging at you. And if you if you're doing that, then you can't focus on the building season, which is what comes after the competition prep. So it's kind of like you have to learn to enjoy that phase of it as well. Um, so how is that going for you now? Like several months past show or a few months past show, are you okay and accepting of what's happened in that interim? I am not, um, don't get me wrong, there's always that whisper in the back of my head that I have to ignore, but I've realized the more I ignore it, the quieter it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, but all in all, I would say, yeah, I, w- I think when it comes to like my fat phobia, when it comes to understanding that when you make a mistake, you know, yesterday, can you do anything about it? No, but what you, can you control? What's right in front of me, right? Um, I can do what's best with what's right in front of me, with what I have on me, etc. Um, you know, maturing into that has happened a lot in the past three months i could say i've matured a lot with understanding that i have a long-term goal that you know what i overate i my reverse diet didn't go the way it should have gone okay i get it i learned from it my prep didn't even go the way it should have gone i've learned from it i know what i'm going to do to fix it next time but i can utilize the extra calories i have on me i can also utilize the extra calories that i'm going to eat because you don't want to just when you binge like that you don't want to just start trying to cut again cuz you're going to be back at square one so understanding that i'm still going to need to eat in the surplus i'm going to have to go kick butt at the gym and slam a lot of weight and i and being okay with that and learning that it's okay to get a little fluff that it's okay to do that because at the end of the day i have a long term goal and i will achieve that goal no one's going to stop me from achieving that goal. And if that means that in this process, I'm going to have to eat a little bit more than I'm comfortable with, then my mind's just going to have to get over it because I'm going to get what I want at the end of the day. Yeah. That's like one of the reasons I think having a competition, you know, background and emphasis on the sport is very, very important. Like if, if you're cutting down for, you know, superficial reasons like, I don't know, just like to look good at the beach, then it's easier to go into this limbo effect of cutting, building, cutting, building, and that's not really sustainable, it's not really healthy. But if you have like the long game approach of I want to be the best you know, competitor I can be on stage, then you know you're going to look better the next time you step on stage if you have that productive offseason, if you, if you take some time in between competitions, if you allow your body to put on muscle. But if you don't have that desire to look better on stage next time, then then what reason do you have to not just continually going through this this yo-yo effect of dieting um 
so yeah that's one huge advantage to having that you know looming goal so to speak a long-term goal um what about um your training man how has that changed my training changed especially this weekend this weekend (laughs) my training's changed a lot i guys i will tell you right now the ones listening the ones watching if you do both this dude trains like an absolute savage um, I loved it too. I didn't tell him to say that on the podcast. Yeah, no, no, no. He really did. No, I'm not. I'm not buttering buns here. Um, I, uh, you know, because I, I remember we worked out. What what did we do first? We did uh, legs. No, we did back. No, back. We did back. Yeah, first and I got done with that workout, and I was like, man, this is the best workout I've had in years. Um, and so just in that, like, um, has completely revolutionized the level of intensity that I'm willing to go to that I know I'm capable of to achieve my goal. So that's a, that's a big one just in terms of pushing heavier weight. Um, you know, when we do, when we did legs today, we did legs and we went, I went crazy on the squats towards the end. And I don't know what happened. It's just like something took over me. I just like, I flipped a switch and I was just like, all right, I'm going to go until I can't feel my legs. And I went until Robert had to pick me up. <laughs> it's like, I, and I don't know what happened, but so like, I just like, broke through another door, I guess, of like mentality. Um, and so that's been a big thing. And when it comes to working out at home, I was, it's frustrating because when you don't have like a partner or accountability or anything like that, it's hard because, you know, you don't have that spot or anything and you can justify very easily not going as hard. And I used to do that. And, and I'm here to tell you that I have experienced that you don't have to do that. Like if you really want it, there are, you know, there's safety rails, there's, you know, if you really want it, you're going to do what's necessary to get it at the end of the day. And yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, kind of that concept, because there's been several times these past couple months where Crystal and I have been just like crazy busy, like our schedules all jacked up. We've got, you know, somebody we have to meet with, some call we have to jump on. And there's like just so many opportunities where we could say to ourselves, today's just not a good day to go all out. I'll just do what I have to to make it you know, get it done, and then I'll go out all out tomorrow. But tomorrow winds up being the same as today. I mean, I'm always going to have a crazy call. I'm always going to have a crazy meeting. I'm always going to have something that conflicts with my ability to go all out, my foreseen ability to go all out. That's why you have to just recognize on the front end that those are the moments that are compounded to make your reality. So I have to, like, recognize that see that that is going to become my reality if I allow it to be, and then just go 100% all out regardless of all those distractions. And it's a lot easier said than done because everybody has these things that that pull at them. But, I don't know, just being conscious of that in the moment I think is absolutely key because then you can stop yourself, recognize what's happening, and then act in the right way and give it your all. So that's that's my for sure takeaway on that. Um, What about your whole... The whole concept of waiting to do another show. We kind of touched on it briefly, but now that you've done your first show, you get that adrenaline rush after you step off stage. You're like, oh my gosh, when's the next show? Let me sign up and do one next year. Where are you at on that? So, yeah, so I when I first got off stage, I had a couple guys, even um, some bodybuilders that were at the show that were telling me, oh, you should just keep prepping and go to October, and I am so glad I did not do that. That would have tore me up psychologically. Um and I remember, so I was thinking about that one. So that was two months. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to prep for a show for 2019. Like I'm going to, 
bulk back up, I guess, until January, and then I'm going to cut back down. And, you know, so that was the goal for a while. I was going to try and go pro by summer of 2019, etc. And then as time has evolved and has evolved, and I've gotten to really chew on the process and look at the long game, I've come to realize that that's not that's not what I need to do. What I need to do is look at the variables of my past, right? Like I used to yo-yo diet. I used to do all those things. And so I've never really had the healthy metabolism to handle a prep in a way that's going to get me to my goal as efficiently and as healthy as possible, right? Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you know, I look at my frame and I see, okay, I need to build my shoulders. Shoulders are not easy to build. That's not an easy muscle group to grow, right? I need to widen my lats. That takes a lot of stimulus. That takes time. And to try and get that done, try to try and get that done in four months after my show so I can just cut again, it's just not possible. Like I would have to almost start prepping right now to get ready for June. Yeah. And see, that's like, I, I preach on this concept a lot and people that have listened and heard me say it's probably getting tired of hearing me say it, but I'm gonna say it again. But like, if, especially as a natural athlete, like as a natural athlete, your recovery time is, is not that of somebody that's like taking enhanced drugs or anything. And if you're, it takes longer to cut down if you do it the right way in a muscle sparing way. So if you're, I mean, you're going to be cutting down for anywhere from four to even six months. And if you're cutting and you're in a caloric deficit for six months or so half of the year, then that shows over and then you have to basically return to baseline. So that might take, you know, four or five, six months. So six months have already passed and you're just now back at baseline then you have to have a time to build muscle and that takes you know a year to put on any quality muscle in a caloric surplus as a natural bodybuilder so right now you're at a year and a half and ideally you want more than a year's time to put on muscle so you should probably make it like two years before you cut down for your next show but if you don't do that and if you just go from one show return to baseline or not even return to baseline and start prepping for your next show you oftentimes come in worse conditioning with less size than you did initially because you you become in a more catabolic state. You lose muscle. You don't have time to, to build muscle, obviously, and you just wrecking your metabolism, wrecking your hormones, and that takes years to recover from if you really screw it up. So, I mean, people just need to play the long game with that approach too. Like, focus on what's going to be better for your body long term. Like, make this a healthy sport instead of an unhealthy sport. So, when's your next show? My next show is uh, June of 2020 is what I plan on doing. 2020. That's a pretty good, solid off-season. So you kind of mentioned it briefly, but what are your, what's your tactic going to be going forward? Like how are you going to look better on stage in 2020 okay. than you did this past go-round? So my plan is obviously I want to widen my lats. I need to work on the roundness of my rear and lateral delts, et cetera. Um, and so those are going to be a huge emphasis for me in this off-season. Um and also my long head of my tricep, which if y'all don't know, is the back part right here. Um, for those that are on the camera, obviously you can't see it on the podcast. <laughs> um, so I really want to emphasize those things. I want to create a lot of stimulus. And so the plan is, is to right now, me and Robert were talking and I really need to figure out my caloric threshold, which we can flesh out in a little bit if you want to. Um, so basically after Thanksgiving, cause I'm just going to be dealing with all that the week after Thanksgiving, I'm just going to have days of eating, obviously a strict ketogenic total 10 carbs diet, but until I'm uncomfortable to figure out what my body's threshold is, what it can handle. 
And then I'm going to, once I find that number, I'm going to hold that number until January. Mm-hmm. January, no, no, February, end of February. End of February, I plan on doing something with the uh, with, with DSK, and I'm going to actually get on that, not as aggressively as like someone that's going to be actually going through the program would, but I'm going to lower my calories slightly below maintenance, up my cardio, and try to get some of the excess fat I did put on um, during my reverse dieting period. Not much. I'm not trying to prep. There's a very big difference between what I'm trying to do and prepping, and I want to emphasize that. And then once I hold that for the three months and I get some of the excess body fat off, I'm just going to reverse diet back out of that, back into my surplus. And then I'm going to hold that until probably November of 2019. And then it's prep time. It's business. Done business. (laughs) I like it. I like it. So what are you going to do going into the prep next time that's different from this past year's prep? A lot of things. There, If I flesh it out, I would have to say that there are a lot of things that I did wrong on this prep. And it's crazy because Robert is a very intelligent human being. And no, he's not telling me to say any of this. But he's he is an intelligent human being. And he knows what he's saying, right? He knows what he's doing. And I know if I would have followed the macros to the T, I might not. Obviously, I still had some metabolic issues. So I probably wasn't you know, going to get down to 4% body fat. But I could have gotten leaner than I did. And I was struggling with a lot of, is this worth it? Is it not? Um, And so I was not very strict on my macros. You know, I remember I went on vacation about eight weeks out and I struggled with that. I was like 150 calories over and eight weeks away from a show, eating over by 150 is obnoxious. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get to your goals, guys. Like if you have a set amount of calories that you're following and you think it's okay to eat 50 calories over, you don't tell your coach that and you're not losing weight. That's your problem right there. I'm, I'm telling you, I know it doesn't sound like much, but 50 calories adds up. Mm-hmm. And so obviously the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to meal, I'm going to meal prep. I'm going to set up my macros and that's, that's it. That's all I'm eating. And I don't care if I feel like I'm starving. Like I'm putting my face in a pillow and I'm going to sleep. Like I'm not going to, it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to cheat once. So that's a big part I think that will come into the conditioning. And then also my intensity at the gym, like, I um I need to take it up a notch. Um, of course I'm gonna learn how I'm I'm been experiencing that with you, but also you know I don't want to learn how to do that, whether I'm with a partner, whether I'm not with a partner, you know, a weightlifting partner, and so kind of playing with that and figuring out okay how far can I push myself without like literally dying, yeah. um, and then on top of that I would say also ramping up my cardio. That's one thing I don't feel like I did enough cardio. Like, I was only doing four minutes of Stairmaster for 20 minutes, which, of course, I was in such a negative state trying to figure out if it was worth it anyways that if you would have told me to do more, I'd probably have been like, screw you, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, like, a lot of people, going back to the macros, like, you can get away with a little, little bit here, a little bit there when you're just, like, maintaining or just looking good or being healthy. But when you go into a competition, so much of it's psychological anyways, and you don't want to have to have that regret after the show so that that alone makes it not worth it to cheat but then like just from a physical standpoint if you don't cheat at all and if you're freaking on the game with your macros then it is freaky what the human body is capable of i mean crystal and i when we did our prep like we would we would our macros would change every single week so we would basically meal prep for the entire week based off of those macros we would not deviate at all from those prepped meals and then after that week when the macros changed, we could mix it up a little bit, add a little bit different, you know, flavor something here and there. Um, still hitting the numbers, obviously, but just changing up with that what foods uh, 
those macros are made up of. That way you can have some variety to make it more sustainable for the months to follow. But like giving yourself a, a, a zero tolerance policy to cheating and deviating from those meals and those macros is absolutely key because the moment you do deviate from it and you flip that switch, it's really hard to go back into that kind of like tunnel vision mindset and you need the tunnel vision mindset. And you're only prepping, I mean, kind of depending on how you look at it, but four to six months in the grand scheme of life is just a blip. It's nothing. So don't give yourself a reason to regret anything done in that four to six month time period. Give it 100%. Don't cheat at all. Hit the numbers on the head every time, all the time, and look freaky. I completely agree. Yeah. And that's that takes a lot of mental fortitude. Like it's hard to deprive yourself and go without and sacrifice when everybody else around you is, is eating whatever they want and food's in abundance. But that's why this is a hard sport. I mean, it's not hard because you go eat all your meals perfectly for one day when you go kill it in the gym for one day. It's hard because you have to do that every single day without fail for four to six months. And that takes a lot of discipline. But that's what makes it a beautiful sport because it gives you an opportunity to grow as a human being. And I don't know. I love it. I love it. I'm about ready to just go compete right now. Just yeah, let's just do it. Let's just crap. <laughs> Screw it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so having that kind of mindset towards the the level of just discipline and consistency you bring to the table is, is absolutely key with your training and with your nutrition. Um, and then like when you know you go all out on it, you're less likely to feel like you need to, to make up for something and then fall into the trap of doing a competition year after year after year. Because if you give it all you have, you almost like need some time in between shows to like recover from just going 100% like that. So if you're one to do a show every six months, it's probably because you didn't give it all you could that first time around. Um, that's kind of my take on that. Like I, I don't have the mental capacity to do a show every six months. Like I would be just, I would be dead. Um, but I'm not competing again until 2020. Same as you. And I don't know. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. Oh, dude, I'm excited to be shredded with GD, bro. <laughs> For sure. So, so talk about your your building with the the caloric surplus a little bit. Like, while you were here, you ate six thousand calories. Mm-hmm. What did that do for you psychologically? Eating that much food, like in your fat phobia, did you just feel like you're gonna balloon up the next day? So, it was weird. So the first, I'd say the first three thousand calories. I, like once I hit what I usually eat every day, because right now I'm eating 2,800. That's going to change soon because that's my maintenance. That's, I mean, I am I was maintaining at that point. Um, and I remember once I got past that in the morning, I got to re-eat that entire link of sausage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, guys, we ate an entire link of sausage for one meal each. Not yeah. We didn't split it. <laughs> yeah, no joke. And so at that point, I, start, I remember it, it crossed my mind. I was like, oh, crap. Like we're about to we're about to go over this. Like I'm gonna get fat. I need to do cardio tomorrow. I need to wake up in the morning and run. Like I'm I'm not joking. Like all this stuff started going through my head, and then I would say the next meal I sat down and and I was like, now nah, I'm gonna do this. My body's just gonna my body's gonna do what I want it to do, and it's gonna it's gonna learn to be okay with it, or I'm gonna get a new body. <laughs> and um, so I just ate the the that next meal. Um, I forget what it was. That yogurt. And- yeah, that yogurt. Yeah, yeah. So when we were sitting at the table and we were making jokes with it, like that was all running through my head, like yeah. the back of my mind. It's crazy what runs through your head and you don't tell anybody, you know, because yeah. you don't know how to deal with it yourself yet. Mm-hmm. And so I am, um, and I ate it. I ate it all. It went down easy, and I felt like I had made such, I had made such a huge step towards my long term goals because I was able to break a mental barrier. Um, 
And when I went to bed that night, I was completely okay with what was going to happen the next morning. And mind you, I did wake up and gain five pounds, but that was due to a crap yeah, ton of salt. Yeah, we ate like probably 10,000 milligrams of sodium yesterday. It was, it was a little obnoxious. But the point is, is that I didn't freak out. I woke up, I saw the weight, I said that's sodium, and even if it's a little bit of fat, I'm about to go kill it in the gym, I'm gonna make gains. And that's what's needed right now. And I can say the same for my next prep. I'm excited when I'm hungry and I tell myself no because I'm in control, my body's not. And I think that's big for anybody that's dieting. You know, it's not just the guy that's trying to like shove food in his mouth to get, you know, gains, if you will. It's the person that's dieting right now and you feel like you don't have control. That's not true. You have control. You have all the control in the world. You just need to take control. Like, don't let your body fool you into thinking that you don't get to decide what it does and doesn't do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think. Like for me, obviously eating 6,000 calories, it's not necessary. Like I don't need 6,000 calories. But eating that much food for as long as I have now, three months in, it's like my my mind is convinced that I'm not going to just turn into the New Year blimp eating that much food. And that alone is kind of like comforting because I know I'm not just unachievably far from my goals. Um, and I don't know, it just kind of resets things psychologically. And it makes me want to go into a competition prep and be strict and sacrifice that abundant food that much more because there's two sides of the spectrum, you know. So if you have too much of anything, it becomes a negative. Um, so I'm excited for that. Speaking on that, like we're three months in now. I think this is 90 days, 91 days, and be doing 6,000 calories. And there's been a couple of days where I haven't hit 6,000. I'm being a little shy. Like if we have like some traveling thing, like I've been a little shy. But the whole time I've been far, far, far above my my maintenance for sure. And I'm tired of eating 6,000 calories. I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, it's like I said, you know, we recorded a vlog for the whole thing because, like, it was fun too. We were making a little challenge, and I and I don't know if that helped you, like, eat more. Like, the, the whole, like, having somebody else there trying to eat more than you and kind of, like, revved you up. Like, I need to get the calories in. I don't want to lose, you know? Yeah. Um, but I remember, like, when we got done with the last 6,000, because we had these sliders, and they were delicious, but, man, they're dense. And, like, the last two, I was just staring at the plate. I was like, oh, I got to eat these. And um, yeah. I thought it was interesting. Like, I got them all down, and I ate 6,000 calories. And it wasn't terribly, terribly hard. But to do that every day for 90 days straight is just, wow. Yeah. That's that's where it gets, like, eating that much food in one sitting, or not in one sitting, but in one 24-hour time frame, is nothing crazy. Like, you can do that. When I when the first couple of days I was eating 6,000, it was nothing. But to continually eat that much of a surplus without your body using all that fuel, because there's no way I'm burning that much. It's just like, whew, that that's where it gets tough. And I've, I've, I'm glad that I've done it. I don't, I'm not convinced that an additional three months of it is necessary or beneficial or worthwhile by any means, but I'm undecided on that. I'll let you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't hurt my feelings at all if I stopped eating 6,000 calories. Um, but it's been good for me to be at such a surplus and know that like, I didn't gain a whole bunch of weight. And it's not the end of the world. I feel like, with, I, feel like I would have gained a lot more body fat had it been from, from um, you know, carbohydrate sources, but from keto, I feel like my body's found like an upper threshold and has not gone beyond that. Um, what else was I going to ask you? I was going to ask you something else. I've lost my train of thought. Um, shoot. Oh, what what about, um, we, we got our DEXA scans the other day. Mm-hmm. What were you? 
21.9% body fat. 21.9. I was 17.6, which is higher than I normally am for sure. But how did you feel at 21.9? You said you had like a little mental hurdle after you got that number that you had to kind of jump. Yeah, it um, it hurt. It hurt bad. Um, to It did two things for me, okay? One, it gave me a reality check that I had, when I had started the prep last year, I was way more, I had way more body fat than I thought I did. Like, I was probably easily 25, 26. I, w- I was pretty high. Um, but not only that, but I didn't get near as lean as I thought I did. So that was a huge reality check for me. But it was also, ex- like, it's weird. Like, my mature, my, my mind has matured a lot because, like, I got excited. I was like, oh, shoot. Like, okay, I can get so much leaner than that. Like, that wasn't even close to what I'm capable of looking like. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but dealing with the fact that I was 21.9, that was rough because I was like, all right, I'm already, like, I remember walking in. I was like, okay, I think I'm going to be, like, 17, and if I bulk, I'll bulk up to 20. Like, I'll, like once I hit 20%, I'm just going to taper off, and I'll be fine. And then I get the scan, and I'm 1.9% above that already. That was a huge blow to the stomach, mm-hmm. trying to uh, wrestle with that and make myself okay with still eating in a surplus. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a challenge. Like, I don't know, like having a body fat percentage read off to you that, that is yours, that you didn't anticipate getting. I don't know. All you, all you can do is use this data. You can't be emotional with it. You can't do, you can't be sen- sensitive with it. You just have to use it as a data point, you know, like your weight is a data point. How your body's performing in the gym is a data point. Your body fat percentage is a data point. So take like a very scientific approach to it. Those are all data points that you can plug into this equation that you use to figure out how your body's going to function. And we're obviously more than an equation, but you know theoretically speaking, this is just inputs that you have, variables that you can control and manipulate to to reach the desired outcome. So use it as such. And don't become emotional about it. Um, let's talk about you know since since you did the competition. Since you've gone to the post show, we've gotten closer. Um, you've been helping me with some stuff. You're now one of the DSK coaches. Uh, so talk talk to me about that. What's it like being a DSK coach in the sense that, so just so we can add more value, like what are some common questions that you get from your clients and from people in the community? What are some lesser known things that we should probably touch on? Um, I think the, the big one is that it's not, it, two, two things that I see with all my clients, it's very, very common is they're terrified of increasing calories and they chronically diet a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I feel like even though it's a, in, in terms of like people know that people diet for long times, like it's a unknown variable, like the whole chronic chronic dieting idea of like, okay, now your metabolism's messed up. Now hormonally you got issues, right? And so getting all, all, Every client I've gotten so far, I have had to on I've had to increase their calories. Or as in deeper state, it would be called onboarding. All of mm-hmm. them I'd have to onboard. And what's crazy is that they've all lost weight, increasing calories. Mm-hmm. And it's blown their minds. Um, and you just you, you see like this 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 constant theme of I have to like starve myself to be healthy. And that's not the one that's not a healthy relationship with food mentally at all. And two, it's not, it's just not factual. Like you'll, you might like be skin and bones, but that's not healthy. That's, that's just, you have nothing on you at all. Yeah. I think, and I've talked about this in a prior podcast as well, but like if you're chronically in a, in a caloric deficit and your body's always kind of like 
fighting to make the most of what little you give it, it doesn't really know what to do when there's any in excess of that. So you oftentimes, it's, it's oftentimes just readily stored as body fat. But if you can increase it all from healthy sources enough consistently over time that your body recognizes that it's not in starvation mode and has to just harbor all that fuel as stored fat, then it really starts recovering. The metabolism improves, the hormones improve. Your your body just functions better. I've, I've got one client that I'm always bragging on because what she's done is truly remarkable. But she was like the classic, you know, under under eating, malnourished. I think she was at 1,200 calories or so um, when I started working with her. If I remember, I have to go back and look at my notes. But I literally have been increasing her calories since we started working together. And she's at 3,000 calories a day right now. 124 pounds. She has gone up one pound. And half the time, that's just water fluctuation. She'll drop back down to her starting weight. But she's she's increased. She's more than doubled her caloric intake. And she's so much healthier now. And she hasn't gained any body fat. She feels and performs great. Her strength has gone up. Everything's improved. And people will not ever achieve that if they're too scared to eat more. So it's a, it's a worthwhile move. It's a necessary move. It's a it's a requirement for your body to function in its prime optimal state. So don't be afraid of eating because as I've hoped, one thing I hope to prove with this whole 6,000 calorie thing is that if you do overconsume, you're not going to just like turn to like this huge fat blob overnight. Like, you know, obviously I've got a lot of muscle. I've got a great metabolism. I've got a good foundation that some people might not have to start with. But I hope that I illustrate that your body is smart and it's going to use a lot of what you give it and you have to give it what it needs and what it what it needs to function properly and you're not going to do that if you're just chronically under eating yeah um one one thing i will talk about also that goes under wraps on dsk and i get this question a lot is people and we can flesh this out a little if you want to that people don't understand why we don't just count net carbs like everybody for some reason wants to know why does why do we have to count fiber why do we count sugar alcohols um and so yeah that that's a big issue for me and i kind of want to like see like flesh that out for them on here yeah so like my whole take on that is there's no i mean like there's no free lunch with anything in life and you know fibrous carbs your body's still doing something with that sugar alcohols your body's still doing something i mean sugar alcohols even though they don't supposedly spike um you know your blood glucose that doesn't mean they're not having an impact on your insulin levels mm. and if you're having a sweet sensation on the tongue i mean that's sending signals to your brain to release insulin independent of what your blood glucose meter tells you so you know knowing that and being aware of it is key and honestly like kind of goes back to if it sounds too good to be true it's too good to be true so like all these keto food products that are just jam-packed full of fiber and filler but have a low net carb count i mean they're crap like they're all crap like you have to there's no free lunch. I mean, basically, that's what it all boils down to. I mean, this is a lifestyle, and it's a perspective shift, and your perspective improves the longer you're, you're doing it, the, the the more you learn about yourself. So initially, at the onset, it might seem like you're sacrificing all this stuff, all these foods, can't have Quest Bars anymore. But then you keep doing it for a while longer. You realize how much better you feel, how much better you perform when you actually hone in on what you're putting into your body and you're not cutting corners and you're not trying to, you know, give yourself things that you don't actually need. And then your perspective shifts because you realize how much more capable you are without these these crutches in your life. And then it no longer becomes a sacrifice. It becomes just 
your day-to-day. It becomes your norm because you recognize that it's not necessary to have those crutches and you don't even want them anymore. So that's my take on that. I think that was well said. I was trying to think of things to add on, but you covered it all. <laughs> covered it all? Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I guess it's just, it's just so frustrating because it's like people talk about it and they're not really educated on it. Like they don't know anything about when it comes to like no one counts erythritol, right? And it obviously, if you know anything about erythritol, it has a caloric load. It mm-hmm. does. And it also, it spikes insulin. How do you know? You take your blood sugar and then like people will like, um, take it later after they've ingested it and their blood sugar has dropped and they go, Oh, that's awesome. It didn't raise blood sugar. Yeah, but okay, hold on. Let's look at the variables. Your blood sugar dropped. Why did it drop? Because you released insulin. Mm-hmm. So you're still stalling your fat loss mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right? And so you have to look at that. And then, you know, most of these keto products, you don't know what's insoluble fiber. You don't know what's soluble fiber. We don't know any of that. And we also, we obviously, um, something that uh, a nutritionist I was listening to on another podcast mentioned was that we actually don't really know how much of both kinds of fiber actually get absorbed in the gut anyways, we just assume because some of it passes through that it doesn't get absorbed. But we really don't know. We, we can't quantify it into a right. caloric amount. And so I just don't like when people go, oh, well, I only count net carbs because fiber and sugar alcohols don't count. And you go, well, why don't they count? And they don't have an answer. They've just always been told. You know what I mean? Like they don't have the education to really back up the reason that they're doing what they're doing. And then they're not getting results. And they wonder why. Yeah. I think people want to take the the easier road. I mean, that's just human nature. I mean, it's human nature to want to take the, the road that would involve less struggle and heartache. And we're about to go into a mindset rabbit hole here, but the best things in life come after that struggle and heartache. So the same is true with your nutrition. Like, count the fiber. Count the sugar alcohols. Count everything and perform and reach that goal. I'm not saying you have to count you know, meticulously for the rest of your life. Like, if you have a specific goal in mind, count, reach that goal, then tap the brakes and eat more instinctively. Like, I'm doing that a lot of times now. Like, and I go into an off-season, I won't be so anal about getting things down to the grant. But when I have a competition coming or looming and I've got a specific goal in mind, yeah, I count everything to the T. And that's just how I am. That's how I'm, I'm engineered. But, yeah, people, I don't know, I, I wish people would not look for the shortcuts but would rather look for the hardest path because the hardest path oftentimes equates to the best outcome so yeah that's kind of the take on that as well i agree Hardly. so what what do you have going forward with regard to we talked about your i'm just excited about what you got going forward you talked about your competition prep plans for 2020 mm-hmm. so what are you going to do with the coaching how are you going to be a better coach how are you going to take what you've learned from your experience with the competition prep and apply that to your coaching endeavors. Oh man, that now that's a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> because I've I've just I've learned so much already and you know, being able to I've had clients that have had that fear of of slipping or have, you know, like the holidays are coming around, right? And that that fear of like not being able to stick to your goals and the fear of you know, increasing calories or the fear of not being, you know, or messing up and trying not to make up for it. And all those experiences that I went through, right, and that I've been able to reflect on, I can 
relate so much better to them and it allows me to be a better coach because yeah, I can get on the phone with them and go well you know I went through x y and z and this is what I've learned this is what I did this is how this should be approached and handled mm-hmm. um and that has just allowed me to grow already so much as a coach like the having able to have those conversations and and talk to you guys um in a way that can benefit y'all and that I can relate with you like I think that that's the most amazing part about you know have having gone through my history um, with yo-yo dieting and all that, and then also the competition prep is that like, it it's so much more realistic. Like it's not like you know we are these superficial coaches that have these eight packs that you know take steroids and you know eat like crap and it's fine. And we you know we make the video of if it fits your macros and we have a donut in our face, you know, and you try that and you gain twenty pounds. Mm-hmm. You know that's not how it is. Like like we have these realistic experiences. And it allows us to better relate, and, and it makes it more personable, and it makes it real. Like, this is real. Um, and so, you know, being able to take my experience with the prep, with dieting strictly, and um, understanding how to mature my mindset and teach other people how to mature their mindset to be more strict, to reach their goals, to be more motivated, be more motivated you know, I think has helped me already and it's going to grow even more so as I deal with different people with different backgrounds and how basically how they're going to mature and mold as we work together. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You're learning, you're, you're spreading yourself out and you're seeing things and how they impact you and then you can take that realistic experience and apply it to the people you work with, which is good. You know, that's really good. People, there's a lot of coaches out there that coach people towards goals that they've never reached themselves. And that to me just seems like a huge disconnect. So, yeah, I appreciate you doing the things that you do before you coach them towards those things. Um, I want to talk about Thanksgiving because you mentioned it. I didn't even I it slipped my mind. But this podcast is going live on Monday. So Thanksgiving it will be on th- this week, the week the podcast is going live. And, <clears throat> again, this is a common topic that I've talked about in prior years, prior to Thanksgiving. Um, but... Thanksgiving and the holidays, like as coaches, we hear so, so, so much that the holidays are coming up. What do I eat? How do I get through the holidays and not lose all the, you know, the, the gains that I've I've come over the over the months prior to the holidays? How do I not gain a bunch of weight? And I feel like this is just a flawed mindset from the beginning. You're going into the holidays asking yourself what you can get away with because you've already convinced yourself that you're going to slip up on your macros, you're going to slip up on your meals. You might even slip up on keto altogether and say, okay, I'm eating stuffing, I'm eating cheesecake, pecan pie, and the works. And I have great tasting pecan pie in my family. We have great cheesecakes. Like my family's a freaking chef of people. And I could easily make the decision to walk over to that dessert table and grab me that cheesecake and piece of pie. But to me, it's not worth it. Like, kind of going back to what I said earlier about your perspective changes, and you you feel like you're sacrificing something in the beginning, but then after you've done it for so long, you feel you recognize what's on the other side. It's no longer a sacrifice. Like it's just the norm. And for me, like it's not worth it to breach what I stand for first of all, but then also to just have that temporary high from the sugars and whatnot. But I mean, what are you sacrificing here, really? Like you're sacrificing your long-term goals by having a short-term fixation on sugar. It's, it's just not a worthwhile trade-off, in my opinion. And then to take it one step further, when I before I was keto, before I had all this, you know, maturity with regard to my nutrition, 
I would obsess over food. Like when I had eating disorders, I would obsess over food. And I would go to Thanksgiving, I would eat. I literally remember I got one piece of pie or dessert from every single item there. And I had a, like two plates of nothing but dessert foods. And the entire rest of the day, I just felt miserable. Like I literally sat on the couch, laid on the couch in a food coma. And I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to go fish with my younger cousins. I didn't want to go shoot the guns with my uncle. I didn't want to go ride four-wheelers. I didn't want to do anything except sleep and eat cheesecake. And you think about what Thanksgiving is all about, giving thanks, obviously, but spending time with your loved ones, your family, your friends, being with the people that care about you and that you care about. I go there to have conversation. I go there to spend time with those people. That is the highlight of my trip, not the dessert table. And recognizing what you're going there for and what's actually important in your life makes it a heck of a lot easier to say no to the things that aren't truly important in life. And that doesn't mean you can't enjoy some of the little things. Like, I'm going to have a glass of red wine at Thanksgiving. I'm telling you right now. And that's not the best optimal keto meal. But it's not going to kick me out of ketosis. It's not going to make me feel like crap. And it's not going to sacrifice my goals. So that is my take on that as well, if, in case anybody was interested. <laughs> I completely agree. I had a conversation like that with one of my clients uh, last week. We called and 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 he was you know stressing about foods and what he should eat and i said i said bro you're missing it i said you're gonna be with your family enjoy that like your goals are set your meals are set don't even worry about like like have a plan have it structured have confidence but if all you do is focus on eating food or not eating food you're missing the point like the whole point of thanksgiving since this is the holiday that's coming up is to give thanks. Give thanks for your family, your friends. The fact that you have a goal, that you're getting healthy, that you're that you are not cheating. Like be thankful for those things and enjoy and appreciate the people around you. I I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I love it. I love it. Well, shoot, man, you got to come back here and do this again. But until then, where can people go to find out more about you? The yeah. Keto Road. The the Keto Road. So Instagram is. My biggest platform, I would say. I, I think I would say. If you would agree or disagree, I'm not sure. Probably, yes. Um, so, Instagram, at The Keto Road. YouTube, slash The Keto Road. And Facebook, The Keto Road. You can also email me. Feel free to email me. TheKetoRoad at gmail.com. And if you're interested in coaching from The Keto Road. Ah, yes. If you're interested in coaching with me, you go to Deeper State Keto. Go to The Keto Coaching. I'll be there. You want to... Um, DM me and talk about it. You have questions. I'm all game. I'd love to work with you. Always a pleasure, man. For sure. I thought we had to shake hands. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to the podcast, we just shook hands. Look good on YouTube. <laughs> all right. Catch y'all later.